Okay, again, good morning. Thankful to have the opportunity to uh, be in God's house today. I've been, uh, I've been singularly blessed in these past weeks. The teaching, the preaching coming from the pulpit, but also the opportunity to, uh, to preach a couple extra times. Uh, been a good discipline for me. I'm kind of, I'm kind of like they were. Uh, Caleb was talking about, you know, unless I got something on the table, I get a little bit lazy. Uh, and I don't tend to spiritual things, especially as I should. But it's always been a good challenge that uh, to to have to study out a sermon because it's a it's a truism that the the preacher gets it first. Uh, and I just thank you that uh, thankful that the Lord. Uh, talk to me about some things. It's good. Uh, you can never really get there in our Christian life and our Christian service, but it's good to have goals. It's good to have a focus on God and what He has. Uh, trying to seek what He has for us each and every day. Uh, have your Bibles certainly turn to Job chapter one. We know this book. Uh, hopefully fairly well. We're just going to look at the, the first verse, first verses, and then we're going to kick into uh, some, some uh, verses, uh, some scripture further on into that book. <clears throat> it says in uh, Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil, meaning he shunned it, he kept from it. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was of 3,000 sheep and 3,000, 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she asses and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. <clears throat> Job was lived in a time perhaps 2,021, 2,200 BC, before the time of Abraham. He was the patriarch of a very, very large extended family, as you might get idea from the amount of the, the substance that he had. Um, <clears throat> he was a man that was after God's own heart. When God spoke and when he said that he was perfect and upright, uh, that, was a, that was a fair and accurate judgment that God made of this man's character. And we certainly know, <clears throat> as we read, God had gifted him with, with children, with, a, with lands and so on, and uh, challenged God, uh, Satan challenged God about that, and God allowed Satan to touch him, and so he lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, and, in, uh, and towards the end, uh, his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And so there he was, sitting in, in, a, in sackcloth and ashes, and then Three of his buddies, three of his so-called friends, came to him, and they, the best thing that they did was, was for seven days they just sat with him and had a presence. But when they opened up their mouths, uh, things changed really rapidly. And these friends that ended up not really doing any matter of, of helping him in any way. Um, <clears throat> turn over now to to chapter 22, it's interesting that Job is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 14 and 20, when Ezekiel was challenging uh, the nation of Israel about their, their unrighteousness. He said, if you were, if you were righteous like, like uh, Noah, Daniel, and Job, you'd be getting somewhere. Uh, unfortunately, Israel wasn't, but, but this is just a picture of, of the character of this man as God, God viewed him. Now, <clears throat> this chapter, as we're going to pick up mainly from the opening chapters uh, of, of Job, then begins the dissertations there with these three, with these three men, some back and forth dialogue with, with Job. <clears throat> Most of it was, was a polemic or a diatribe, or it was, they were just bringing a reproach against Job. Um, and for instance, when we pick up here in chapter 22, 
In verse 1, we see that this man, Eliphaz, the Temanite, <coughs> where exactly this was, Teman was probably in that, in that area, Uz, where, where, uh, where Job lived, it was probably from, from like the Dead Sea, spreading out through what was called the wilderness, um, on down into the Arabian Peninsula. And we know that in the time of Abraham, it was, it was a well-watered plain. That's why Lot wanted to go down there. Sodom and Gomorrah area, this is what we're talking about in this area. It was very, very fruitful. Obviously had to be to sustain all the wealth that Job had. And I'm led to believe also that, that uh, Eliphaz, I think it was, uh, and the other two, they were also identified with, with sections of this area. More than likely, Uz was like a town or a small city. And, and, uh, and from that extended, uh, the extended family of Job and Eliphaz and so on. <clears throat> but they certainly were, were lesser in wealth and they were certainly lesser in spiritual acumen. Uh, in, in, uh, in this chapter 22, verse 5, uh, Eliphaz says this, in talking about Job, he says, Is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite? Wow. For thou hast taken a pledge from thy brother for naught and stripped the nation of their, of their clothing. He says, uh, yeah, that's not what I wanted. Go back to Job chapter 10. That's what I want to look at. Job chapter 10. After Eliphaz comes to him and he starts beating him up, we're going to look at what, what Job had to say. He says, My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, Do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. So he wanted to find out some things from God. Why these things were going on in his life, why he was being accused by these men of doing these things. In verse 7, he says, Thou knowest that I am not wicked, and there is none that can deliver me out of thine hand. And so <clears throat> Job was, uh, was acknowledging the fact that he really didn't know himself why he was going through what he did. But Eliphaz and his friends, what they spoke about Job was uh, absolutely untrue. Um, nevertheless, Job had to deal with this. Um, what, they, what they did, were they were making judgments upon what they had seen. Uh, this is something that we need to, to be mindful of ourselves, is to making snap judgments or, or decisions just in the spur of the moment, or even making a decision in the strength of the will, and just what we see and observe. Their observation was, was that Job had gone through some terrible stuff. <clears throat> but their, their, um, their observation and their assumption that, that great calamity was caused by great sin was absolutely incorrect. But the picture that I want you to get is, is that once that mindset was, was set, then their conclusions were always consistent with that mindset. This is much the way it works with the, with the creation versus evolution debate. The, the, evidence, the evidence for, for, for creation, for the evidence in, in, in nature is all the same. To creationists and evolutionists, <coughs> evolutionists filter their conclusions through a false theory, and everything that they come up with, their, their conclusions are generally incorrect because of a false mindset. <coughs> Creationism has, it's not that creationists don't make some mistakes and aren't perfect people, but the observations that they make are filtered through a mindset of biblical truth and so as long as those observations and those conclusions are made in, in accordance with God's word, then they're, then they're right and good. Now, 
the fact that, that we, there was this dissertation in here for, for 30 some chapters, back and forth, back and forth. You sometimes, you might read this, you might get to wonder what was actually going on and, Job's, uh, and God's mindset in this himself. But in the end, after all the upbraiding for these three men, this is what God said in Job chapter 42, verse 7. God speaks there and he says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, meaning uh, the succeeding chapters, God had finally he began laying down the, the bottom line with Job. He never tells Job why he was going through what he did. He spoke to him as God is, as his creator. He said, behold behemoth, you know, this land dinosaur. And he says, look at uh, Leviathan, a sea creature, probably a plesiosaur or something like that. Uh, and he, he, brought, he brought Job to the point where he says, I abhor myself and I, in sack, and I sit in sackcloth and ashes. He was humbled before God simply by who the awesomeness as God was. But... When God speaks then to Job, and here's another thing, I don't want to forget this, but uh, God never told Job why he was going through what he went through. God, and he, God doesn't have to do that for any of us when he finds us in our situation. God is God. He's going to work his will for our best end, whether we, whether we realize it or not. But what we're going to see in this text that we're going to look at, there's certain things that we need to do when we come through those come into those situations that we can be held strong and receive blessing of God. And so, what, and so what we know that in the end, God blessed him with 10 more kids and he gave him twice as much stuff. Uh, he says in, uh, in Job 42 verse 7, it says, It was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. And so through all this time that those guys were beating up Job, God now says, you guys were wrong. Job was right. Uh, when Job said, uh, went through all this, he never cursed God, he never hold anything against God. He didn't understand but he never questioned uh, God's sovereignty. And so let's look at uh, verses 21 through 23 in this chapter 22 of Job. The Bible says, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, Thou shalt be built up, thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. The name of this message is Acquaint, Receive, and Return. Let's pray. We do thank you, God, uh, for the written word. We thank you for the testimony of these men, such as, as Brother Job, and how that they persevered through times of troubles, how that they received blessings at your great hand simply by their, their faithfulness. I pray, God, that you'd help us to emulate these and other true sources of truth and true sources of biblical character in our lives. I pray humbly in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> now, Eliphaz, even though what he said was basically true, uh, false, he does come through with some, with some good Bible truth or some good, good advice, even though for, for Job, it really wasn't necessary. <clears throat> the advice that he gives in our text is valid for three types of people. The person who is spiritually lost and headed to hell. The backslidden believer who needs, uh, he needs this in dealing with his personal sin before God. And people who need spiritual direction and correction. Uh, we're not going to look at the third one, but we're going to look at the first two how they apply to the spiritually lost and to the backslidden Christian. Um, again, the statements made by Eliphaz and his friends are a good, a good example of the way that we should not be in making judgmental decisions in our relationships with those 
particularly of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, they, made these, they made these conclusions based on an incorrect mindset. It may have been in their own pride of their own righteousness uh, that led them to deal with him so harshly. In uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, it says, proud and, haut proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. And I think uh, that, that verse accurately describes those three young men. I would just say, you know, so where was the love? Where was the love for this man who was, was so hurting? Yeah, they, they kept, when they kept their mouth shut for this, those seven days, that was what they did that after they opened their mouth, they left off doing of anything that could be a blessing to Brother Job. And so, woe to any of us who would be guilty of jumping to conclusions based solely upon physical evidence without sufficient investigation and a large, large measure of patience. Caution should always be exercised whenever possible when faced with making judgmental decisions such as that. Proverbs 22 verse 3 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple passed on and are punished. The prudent man is the thinking man. The prudent man is the man that knows God's word and he uses that as a filter. He uses that as a guide for making decisions in his life. He is not impetuous, he is not prideful, he seeks truth and from, from God's word and then seeks to use that to apply it in using, making decisions in his life. The simple are simply the naive, the easily led, those that will vacillate and they'll, and they'll make quick decisions, they'll jump to a conclusion without seeking uh, the truth of it, and very, very often are brought to loss. So even though Eliphaz, he did say a lot of dumb stuff and, and hurtful stuff, he does come up with some things here that are, that are lawful and true. Um, and they fit for both those that are God's children and not God's children. One commentator stated, only through conversation can we have true conversation with God. Only through conversion can we have true conversation with God. And that's how we become better acquainted with God. And that's the first verse that we're going to look at. Go back to your Bibles now and let's look at this again. The Bible says there, Acquaint now thyself with Him, that's God, and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. <clears throat> this is an important challenge, was an important challenge then, but it's an important challenge for us today. Uh, this is a, comes in the form of a command with a promise of blessing. He said, acquaint thyself with God and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee. This word acquaint is a verb suggesting an action. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines it thusly. It's to make fully and intimately known. And Webster's Dictionary, it cites this very verse as an example of what it is to gain an intimate or particular knowledge of something, in this case, of God. In a way, it's like God is saying, don't be a stranger. Uh, let me be your companion. It's like saying, you know, you saying, you know, to turn to me with familiar confidence. And it's like saying, let's get to know one another. This is something that we challenge to, to do and to understand about. Now, in the past, when I'd see this word acquaint or acquaintance, to me, an acquaintance was like, you know, you know, how you doing? How you doing, buddy? You nod to somebody on the street. It was just like a passing, passing fancy. It always held a friend to be something much, much more than an acquaintance. But the way, the way that the Hebrew here is and the way that God intimates and uses this, uses this word here, 
is, is much, much deeper. Um, certainly, to have a friend, and especially as a friend of God, is something greatly to be desired. Uh, it said in Genesis thirty-three eleven, in speaking God as speaking to Moses about Moses, it said, "The Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend." And here we go again. <clears throat> this fits right in with this word uh, to have an acquaintance, an intimate relationship with, face to face, face to face. Looking right into the very eyes, the very heart of God. That's where he would have us to be. To be seeking his face in all things and all matters of our life and our service and our existence. Uh, all true friendships must start somewhere. They have to have a, a beginning. And if we're going to acquaint ourselves with God, it's going to have to come uh, on our part as we open ourselves up to him. Everybody needs friends. Um, is Rhea here? Do you know, that, do you know that, that Rhea in Hebrew means friend? So whenever you say, hi, Rhea, it's like you're saying, hi, friend. Think on that. So we can know or we can acquaint ourselves with certain things in this physical realm through the abilities of sight, sound, taste, and touch. And we can acquaint ourselves with, with things in the physical plane. The emotional realm, we can experience or become acquainted with many different and diverse emotions. <clears throat> Joy and sorrow, love and hate, fear and comfort, conflict and peace. All things are real. And some of those things, that we, 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 it's not bad to get acquainted with or get to know close up. Some not so much, but again, <clears throat> that's a part of life. But in the spiritual realm, there is only one way to become truly acquainted or to personally know God, and that is through being born again. It's through the salvation of the soul of man. There is also a truth that while a saved person cannot lose his or her salvation, <clears throat> um, our fellowship our communication with God can and will wax or wane, it'll grow or it'll ebb, uh, depending upon the trials that we go through, about the sin that we allow in our life, and sometimes just the plain old blasé, lukewarm attitude that we have towards God. Well, that should not be. We're exhorted in Psalm chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Kiss the Son, lest, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. When it says, Kiss the Son, it's talking about, well, a kiss is a close, intimate thing. Jordan can't kiss Laura when they're this far apart. But he can't when they get real nice and close together, right? Yeah, that's, that's natural. That's the way it should be. Well, in that way, too, if we're going to have this special intimate closeness with God, we've got to get close and we have to stay close. Because in that, that's where we get our blessing. When we trust him for every avenue and course of life, then God can bring blessing to us. The better we are acquainted with God, the more we will be able to trust Him. The more we're able to trust Him, the more we'll be able to know His will for our life, and the more we'll be able to more, most effectively serve Him. This acquaintanceship with God is something that must be cultivated if it is to flourish. I love, I love growing things. I love, uh, I love the f uh, growing flowers and I love the plants and so on. Uh, I didn't do so good this year starting off. It's been pretty rough. Stuff, I started a lot of plants, set them outside and the wind got a bunch of them and some of them just didn't grow the way they should. The only, the only things that are really growing good are what uh, 
Sister Lisa gave me some uh, an extra one of those pots, you know, that had the herbs and stuff in them. I transplanted them, bang, they were going like crazy. My efforts, well, that's, that's the way stuff is. But if we're going to have this relationship with God, we've got to work on it. Uh, God does not want us holding him at arm's length. You know, it's when we sin, it's when I sin, it's when I'm taking my eyes off the God that I really don't want to get close to him because I'm ashamed for what I've done. That shouldn't be, but it is, and we can deal with that in a, in a God-honoring way. If you want peace in your life, as it says here, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace, thereby good shall come unto thee, if you want true peace in your life, it's going to have, come through having a close personal relationship with God. You know Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. The word peace in, in the Hebrew you probably know very, very well is shalom. That was a traditional greeting, maybe still is amongst, uh, amongst Jews, you know, to say shalom. As a, as a matter of greeting. <clears throat> this word, as it's translated right from the Hebrew, perfect peace is shalom, shalom. Peace plus peace. Peace on top of peace. Peace multiplied by peace. The kind of peace that the world does not really know. It's the peace that passes all understanding. That, that to the lost person... When, when I speak to them, a, person, a lost person, about what God has done for me and that peace that I have in my heart and mind, that I'm no longer at enmity with God. I am now one with Him. I have this close personal relationship and I have peace. There are some things in my, in my soul, spirit, nature that's settled. I'm now at peace with God, no longer fighting Him, and no longer at enmity, no longer against Him. But I'm a part of his forever family and I receive his forever blessing. <clears throat> and so, this kind of peace goes way beyond the physical or emotional peace that, that the world knows. Free from conflict, warfare, from getting your car repossessed or whatever. It's, it's the difference between phileo, brotherly love, and the agape love, the intimate uh, personal love of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's the difference between the peace that the world has and the peace that has the Christian has. <clears throat> it only comes from God. And so, in the second verse there, verse 22, it says, receive. We've looked at acquaint now thyself and now receive I pray thee the law from his mouth, and lay up his word in thine heart. Well, let's consider this. The, the law, the word there, the Hebrew is, is the law, is the Torah. To the Jews, that was the first five books of the Bible. And then later on, by extension, all, all the scriptures as they knew it. <coughs> This was a long time before, before uh, Moses was even born. As I said, uh, Job probably lived a few, maybe one, maybe a couple centuries after the flood. That's why God could make reference about behemoth and Leviathan and so on, and how God speaks about his matters of creation so much. This was fresh, this was new to Job and the people of that day. Uh, but Let's consider, were there other books that were available before the books of the law, the Pentateuch, were written? Uh, were there other writings that may have contained revelations from God in the times when Job lived? Well, indeed, there definitely were. Uh, turn to Job chapter 19. Turn back a few uh, chapters there in your Bible. Job chapter 19, we're going to look at uh, several verses, starting in verse 23. 
Now this is this is this is comes from a heartfelt um, uh, situation with Job, as he's viewed all the things that he's going through. And this isn't before you know. This isn't even at towards the end of what uh, when this was all being played out. But Job was even then, he was recognizing the worth of what he was going through. He says there in verse 23, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this, flesh, this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job knew some book. Where did it come from? Um, <clears throat> secular people talk about ancient cultures and so on. As most of their uh, information was passed on orally, oral tradition. And certainly there, there was... Uh, the, the specter and reality of that was, was very, very real. Uh, people people uh, had different mindsets about learning and, and, uh, and taking in uh, things that they wanted to hear. It was even talked about in, uh, oh, in the times of John Tyndale that, uh, and even before that in the times of the early Christians, even though they, sometimes in churches, they didn't have very, the whole canon, they didn't have the whole Bible. So the preachers would preach from what they had, and it was said that, that numbers of the congregation could quote the whole books of the Bible as they had, because it, they wanted to hear it, and they wanted it to stick. And they didn't have TV, and they didn't have internet, and they didn't have all these distractions. What they had was God, and they had His Word, and they treasured it, and they stored it up in their heart. I know one man that I worked with in the jail, uh, he, he memorized numbers of books. It's not that we can't do it, it's just we don't try to do it. He memorized numbers of books. All the books, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, uh, 2nd, 3rd uh, John, memorized them all. So it can be done. We just don't put a priority in God's Word that we should. I'm not saying you should uh, have to do that, but it's a discipline that you can certainly learn certain verses to hide them in your heart, why that you might not sin against him. That's the reason why we have God's word. One of them is to know the dictates of God for us in our life. Okay. So number one, observe that God's word was going out not just orally, but it was also that his words were written down. He says that they were written down, meaning that there already there were words that were written down. Um, Job recognized the value of the things he was going through in life, and he implored God that he would add them to the written revelation of God to men, and God did. The iron pen and the lead and the rock speak of the value and the permanency of what God had revealed. <clears throat> it may have been that they put, actually put it into rock or stone tablets, they chiseled it out, the cuneiform or whatever, I believe it was proto-Hebrew, proto that was the language of that time, don't know, <clears throat> I don't know why it wouldn't be, because they became the, his progeny, patriarch became the children of Israel, but they, uh, they might have chiseled it out into the stone tablets and they might have melted lead and put it into the characters so that they would stand out that's what the book says. I'm just guessing, but that's what I'm thinking that they did. <clears throat> Again, we don't value God's word, I, I don't think, as much as we should. And the doctrinal truth presented here is truly vast. He knew his soul needed to be redeemed. He knew who his redeemer was, the Lord God of heaven and earth, his creator of all that is, and that he would see him one day in a resurrected body, after his body had died, gone to the grave, rotted away, and he said, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. You can get that readily, that truth from the New Testament, but Job knew it already. It was a part of his life, it was a part of 
the writings, I believe, that, that Job already had. Uh, remember, this is a little bit of an aside, you remember when Jesus came to Mary and Martha at the time at the death of Lazarus? Uh, Jesus was speaking to Martha in John chapter 11. He said that in, when they, were, they, had, they had their discourse about Lazarus had died and so on, and Jesus said, Jesus saith unto Martha, thy brother shall rise again. <clears throat> but Martha wasn't thinking about right now, she was thinking about ahead. She said, Martha saith unto him, to Jesus, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Where did she get that from scripture? Might have got it right from the book of Job. Very, very well. I don't know any part of the Old Testament scripture that's any clearer on the last days, judgment day. They knew all about it. <laughs> that we knew more about it today. So then, the source of, what was the source of these books? Um, the answer to that can be found in the book of Genesis. So turn back to Genesis chapter 2. We've already been looking a little bit in Genesis already. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse, chapter 1, verse 1, we know it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and earth. Uh, it it uh, accounts the six days of creation. And um, uh, verse 31 there in chapter, uh, chapter 1, God saw everything was very good. And evening morning was the sixth day. And then <laughs> it speaks of in chapter 2 about how things had, uh, God had finished his, his time of creation, and the seventh day God rested. And then he, in verse 4, it says, These are the generations of the heaven and earth when they are created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And so this is what's the first of what's called a teledoth statement. A statement, uh, the word teledoth is translated as as generations, and the word gen teledoth, it means record of origins, okay? So, as we see this from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, these are, these are directly the words of God as He had them recorded. God is the only one that was there to see this stuff. After He created Adam, Adam and Eve, and they begin their life Turn over to chapter 5, verse 1. And so this was, this was written down at one time or another. Genesis chapter 5, it says, This is the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of, of God made he him. And so this is like a postscript. This was up until here from chapter 2, verse 4 to verse five, chapter 5, verse 1. This was something that Adam had recorded. And when you can go on, in succeeding chapters, they don't have time to do it. You can look at chapter 6, verse 9, chapter 10, verse 1, and so on. You'll see that God had this recorded. And God, no doubt, had other elements of Scripture recorded of His will for, for mankind. And it's very likely that Noah carried these and other writings onto the ark before the flood, and they're made available to the people of the world in the post-Diluvian days. Now, Eliphaz, again assuming some secret sin in Job's life that God was punishing him for, implores him to receive God's word. He's saying, you need to get back and look at God's word, Job. Well, he said, receive, I pray thee, the law. That's God's word. Eliphaz knew about it. He knew what God's word was. He says, you need to get back to it. Well, Job, Job was already there. He was seeking truth from God. But Eliphaz had a good, uh, for, for the lost person or the backslidden person, this is where you're going to get, uh, this is where you're going to get right with God. Receiving God's word. Receiving certainly is to believe, as it says in John verse, chapter, chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even that 
to them that believe on his name. Um, <clears throat> again, God wants us to know his word. You know, uh, Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We can't live what we don't know. That's why it's contingent upon every believer to get his eyes on Scripture, to have, to get, you know, you know, you don't need a whole steak, you know, maybe get a sandwich or get, a, get, get some good bites of it every day. Some of the devotionals that are available, Spurgeon's, Spurgeon's uh, Evening and Morning, uh, Brother Thomas Smith, His Straight Paths, get a good bite of it. Get something you can chew on, you know, for the day. You'd be surprised how God can bless you through some of the things uh, that you'll get through simple devotional time. Uh, it says further in Psalm 37, verse 31, uh, the law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Uh, sometimes, you know, there, there gets to be some slippery slopes in life. There comes some times when we need something to really get grounded, something to bring us to a position of uh, solidity, something to bring us to a position of safety, uh, to bring us to a position of comfort. Uh, that's going to come through as we, as we get in God's Word. We hear it, we meditate upon it, we apply it for our life. Uh, Job knew about this. He said in, uh, in uh, 23, 12, 23, 12, yeah, chapter 23, verse 12. We look over on that next page or so. It says, Job said, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Uh, his to esteem something is to put high value upon. He put uh, a, a value on God's word of over anything physical in his life. We need food for physical sustenance. We need God's word for spiritual sustenance. Mm -hmm. If you're going to grow, you need to take in, you know, the, the, the meat, the milk, and so on to feed the body so it will grow and it will become healthy and vibrant. That's why fathers, moms, you take good care of those kids. You give them what they need. You don't always give them what they want. You give them what they need. So they'll grow up strong and healthy. In that same way, you want to put in that good, good God's word too. They need to grow spiritually, even from the youth. When they can start to hear and understand about the stories of Jesus, that's what they need to hear. They need to hear it in Sunday school. They need to hear it from mom and dad. That when the day comes, when they grow to the time of accountability, to maturity, they can, they can understand what God would have them to do. They can trust this book. They'll trust the things in this book over anything else in life. The world is trying to rip people away from the truth and to hold people from the truth. We need to cleave to it over everything else in this existence. Then finally, it says in verse 23, If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from my tabernacles, from far away from you, far away from where you dwell, far away from where you live. <clears throat> Here's, here we see the importance of that little word, if. This word implies the need for a reaction to a condition we find ourselves in. There is no room here for a maybe or think so or want to be. It's a yes or no situation. It's like, uh, it's like in the book of Deuteronomy, God over and over again stated to Israel, if you will obey me, then I will bless you. If you do not obey me, then I will curse you. Very simple, very direct, very clear. That's the way God is 
with us, you know. There's nothing in this book that is so hard that we can't, that's vital to us that we can't understand if we apply ourselves to it. Uh, if we simply use that seed of faith to trust Him and His Word and make it a vital part of our life. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 27 through 30. <clears throat> one of the greatest, uh, chapter 18, one of the greatest books of the Bible. Read in there. It has about the, the, a beautiful account of the uh, personal accountability for sin. Ezekiel chapter 18. Dynamite. <clears throat> God says, again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness, that he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. Because he considereth, here, in his mind, he's taking in something, he's making a decision now, he's seeking to make a decision in accord with this book. He considereth and he turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed, he shall surely live, read spiritually, he shall not die spiritually. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. So it's not fair. Bottom didn't want to hear it. God says, O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Aren't they fair? Consider. Are not your ways unequal, unfair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. Personal accountability for sin. Saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. <clears throat> the Bible uses three great words, sin, transgression, and iniquity to describe sin or, vi or violation of God's word. Sin, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We cannot, we come short of the standard that he has set for us. Transgression speaks about, says we've exceeded the limits, to exceed the limits of, of, the, of the constraints, the restraints of his law. And iniquity talks about the abominable things that we do in God's sight. There are certain things that are iniquitous, they're, they're an abomination to him, the things that we have done. Even, the, even one sin in God's eyes is enough to send us to hell because we violated his word and we have not put our faith and trust in him. Anyway, we have the, word, the phrase is there, turneth away. It's used several times in this, in this uh, portion of scripture. The word turneth away and repent are the same Hebrew word, shub. Repent. The Bible says it's a command from God. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is repentance all about? Well, repentance is a change of mind about sin and self and who God is. It's our opening our eyes to the truth and understanding what God would have us to know and do about matters of our salvation about the destiny of our soul. Again, acquaint ourselves with God, receive His Word and believe it, and repent and return to Almighty God. Whether we are spiritually lost or in a, in a sinful backslidden condition, God wants to see three things from us. Conviction, contrition, and confession of sin. Conviction is spoken about in Psalm 38, verses 1 through 4, where David said, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. He knew that God was on him for what he'd done. He says, For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth upon me sore. He is beginning to feel the responsibility for his sin. He says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. He says, for mine iniquities are gone over mine head as a heavy burden. 
They are too heavy for me. This burden could be looked upon as experiencing guilt for sin and the penalty for it. It can be a real-time burden, a real-time experience of acknowledging that sin debt. <clears throat> if we could picture the, you know, the God keeps track of every, every, every sin that we've ever done. It's written in a book. Every one of them. We might be able to fluff off one or two ourselves, but God knows each and every one, and they fill volumes. And this should, the knowledge of this should bring us to a position where God wants that burden to bring us to our knees. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of God and he'll lift you up. God has said he desires a meek and a contrite heart, a God that's, that's, that's close and surrendered to him. God wants that acquaintance. He wants that close, intimate, personal relationship with him that comes only through hearing and believing his word as we repent and put our faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our sin debt. Number two, contrition or sorrow for sin. Psalm 38, verses 17 and 18, David again wrote, <clears throat> For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me, for I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. Well, <clears throat> this, this goes beyond just being sorry for getting caught. This is sorrow in the heart that comes from knowing you violated the dictates of a holy, righteous God. This is what's talked about in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. Paul said, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, not just worldly, he says, but that you were sorrowed to repentance. You'd come to the point where you're willing to do something about your sin, that you're going to turn from it. Remember, repentance is turn from, to turn from our sin and then turn to God. Repentance is 180 degrees turning in the life of a believer, from a lost person to a believer. The greatest example you'll ever see was about Saul of Tarsus. He was the number one persecutor of Christians in, in all of Israel. He was a hit man. When they stoned Daniel, when they stoned Stephen, it says that the people came and they laid their coats at the, at the, at the feet of Saul. He was the one who told him, you go and do it. And they did. But on the road to Damascus, this, this Jesus that he had persecuted, his name, he had seen who Jesus was, he'd seen him. Then God opened him up his eyes and he saw Jesus in heaven. And he knew the truth that what Stephen, Stephen had been preaching about was absolutely true. And he was on his knees right there before God on that road to Damascus. He was born again. He received the truth that as he knew it, and he believed on God as his Savior. <clears throat> okay, it says, uh, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Uh, Verse 29 of this, uh, this chapter, it says, When men are cast down, then all shalt say, There is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. <clears throat> Back in the years when I was, uh, uh, went in the Army, October 30th, 1966, July 19, uh, July 15, 1967, upon myself in Vietnam. Soldier in Vietnam. Just a couple weeks in country, things have been going pretty good. Then one night the sirens went off. Uh, we were getting hit. They, uh, we grabbed our weapons, our gear, got on a truck, and they took us out to the perimeter. <clears throat> and they had me stationed behind the, so some barriers there. And I saw the scene out in front of me 
machine guns firing out into the rice paddies. 105 millimeter howitzers firing from the, from the artillery outfit just down the road from us. <clears throat> Parachute flares up in the sky. Whoop, 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 whoop. Lighting up the paddies out in front of us. Puff the Magic Dragon, C-130 with minigun. <clears throat> you know, your machine gun goes da-da-da-da-da. Minigun sounds like <clears throat> And I could see that, that it looks just like a hose of fire sweeping the rice paddies out in front of me. War became real. Jeopardy for my life became real. I clutched my rifle, there sitting in those, in those shadows, and I said to God, you get me through this, God, I'll do anything for you the rest of my life. Well, I got through that night and every other night in Vietnam, but that next day it was the same old drinking, smoking, cursing, Jim Girth. There had been no change. I felt sorry for, I had fear. I felt sorry for some about the some of the things I did didn't stop me from doing them. But on a day in 1982, a man shared with me the gospel of Christ, and I re repented of my sin, was born into God's forever family, confessing my sin, as it says in 1 John 1 9. God will confess our if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David wrote about this in Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> David wrote, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, atoned for. Blessed is the man, knowing the favor of God. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord will not impute imputeth not iniquity. He's not going to hold him accountable. He's not going to, uh, he's not going to credit it to his spiritual bank accounts. He's not going to do it. He says, in whose spirit there is no guile. There's no deceptiveness in the things that God says or does. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into drought of summer, Selah. Think about it. This is what David was going through in real time. He said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquities have I not hid. He opened up his heart to God. He said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. That's what confession is. It's acknowledging guilt and responsibility for our sin. And that results in conviction of sin, contrition, sorrow for sin, and confession of sin results in conversion, spiritual conversion. Acts 3.19, the Bible says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. On Judgment Day, you aren't going to have to worry about it, believer. It's all been done already by the God of heaven and earth. Saved people can also be spiritually converted when they confess their sin before God. This was a situation when Peter uh, was in when he denied the Lord after his arrest. In uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Going to put you through some something here, boy. But I have prayed for thee that thou faith faileth not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Well, uh, God, uh, Jesus knew what Paul was going to go through already. He knew what he was going to desire. He was going to deny him. What, what, what uh, Peter had to do is he had to confess that. Receive God's forgiveness. He was, it doesn't change in being a saved man, but he was able to be renewed spiritually and renewed to his fellowship with God. So 
in conclusion, acquaint yourself with God. Get to know Him in this intimate, personal way. Receive His Word into your heart and return. Repent of your sin, seeking His forgiveness. Jesus saith, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He desires a close, intimate, personal relationship with you. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is, that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith works like this. When I was a young man, uh, worked with my dad every day. He was a dairy farmer. <clears throat> we, uh, that was one of my first jobs. Is just, I'd, I'd work with him every day. One of my main jobs was in the morning and night getting the cows in from the, from the pasture or wherever they were, the woods, and get them in the barn so they could milk. And usually they were in the pasture close by. You could just call them, come boss, come boss, and they'd come running. They wanted to get milk. Or they'd be in the close woods, and you could go out and look around a little bit, call them a few times, and here they come. But we'd been through uh, a, a period of storms, thunderstorms, and uh, then that day there'd been just a ferocious thunderstorm, just sheets and sheets and sheets and sheets of rain. And it was just kind of getting over with in the evening, and uh, <clears throat> we was going to go out, and I was going to go out and, you know, call the cows. And my dad said, uh, they're probably not going to find them. They aren't going to be in the pasture. They're probably not in the near woods. They're probably way in the backwoods, was, a, was this a thickest, densest part of the woods. And so we headed out there, and uh, sure enough, uh, we get out there. My dad called a few times, and we could hear a clonk, clonk, you know, the cow bell clanging. There were some, we could see maybe one or two cows way into the, in the, across this ditch uh, in the trees. And there, was a, there was a drainage ditch that went right through the middle of the farm, right through the woods there, right where we were. And it was not very, it's not very big, not very wide, six, eight foot wide, but it was six, eight foot deep and it was running top bank with water, Russian water. The cows were over there, we're over here. What are you going to do? Well, there was a bridge across the ditch. I'd had to go through the woods and part of the field and cross over and then and on. But my dad said, no, you don't need to do that. <clears throat> he was a big guy. Just picked me up and threw me across. So I run over, I get a switch, and I find that cow that had the cowbell, the leader cow, get her moving, and they take off, and they, they found a a shallow spot, and they went splashing through, and they're headed for the barn. So there I am. I'm on the other side. My dad's over here. I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to run around, and, and uh, dad said, no, just uh, here's what you do. You go back a ways, Jim, and you come running. When you get to the edge of the ditch, you jump, and I'll catch you. So that's what I did. I knew my dad could do anything he said. He would never ask me to do something he couldn't do. And so I went back, I went running, and I leaped out and my dad caught me and bore me over. I never even got my feet wet. That's what faith is. Faith is action. Faith is a choice. I knew that what my God, that what what my dad told me, asked me to do, he could absolutely do. When Jesus says that he's, when God says that he's willing that none should perish, but all would come to him in repentance, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For any individual that's willing to hear that and believe that, to make that step of faith, just that little boy faith, it never occurred to me not to believe what my father said. Don't doubt what God has for you today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, now is the time to get that settled. Exercise that seed of faith that he gives to every individual and make that choice to get close to God, to get that close 
intimate personal relationship. Acquaint yourself with him. Receive his word. Confess your sin and be converted. Repent. And you can know the great favor of God. I'm going to ask the song leader and the musician to come and we'll have a, a hymn, a verse or two of a hymn of invitation. And if anybody here, this moment in time, wants to talk about it, or if they want to get the, get the matter settled right where they're at, salvation is by grace through faith. Again, the Bible says if we confess our sin, that's manning up, that's owning up to God. It's saying yes to God, it's saying no to the ways of the world, and willing to put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior. Brother Chris? Number 440, please. Are you trusting Jesus as your Savior right now? Do you know for sure that when you leave this world, you're going to go to heaven? If you don't, now is the time to put your faith and trust in God as your Savior.